Well, good morning and welcome to MCC. My name is Jason Beaver. I'm our student pastor here. And I'm excited this morning to continue um, walking through the book of Colossians. And so if this is your first time here with us, we're so glad you're here. I mean, if you have any questions, anything about events coming up, what's happening this week during Love in Action, um, what we believe, maybe what we don't believe, anything like that, um, there are people at our info area who would love to to connect with you, um, give you some information, um, and just let you know how you can get in contact with us throughout the week if you have any of those questions. Um, And as I said, we're walking through the book of Colossians. We're in week five of of our Colossians series, and over the past four weeks, um, we've looked really only at a chapter and a half. So we're going through it kind of slowly, but really beginning to look and see what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae and what that means for us. And so to start the conversation today, I I want us to go back and to remind ourselves of what we've been looking at, because there's a lot that's happened, a lot that we can take away from uh, that applies to our life today um, that builds off of what we're going to talk about this morning. And so in week one, uh, Adam reminded us of this idea. He said that Jesus makes me worthy, that the gospel works that the gospel, right, is, is enough. And in Colossians 1, 13 verses, uh, 1, 13 and 14 says this, says he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, that we are made worthy because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, that the gospel is enough and that it works. And in week two, uh, Mike reminded us of the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is God. And in Colossians 1.15, we read this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It might challenge us with a question, a question that we could argue, arguably say is one of the most important questions we could ever ask ourselves. And the question is this, who is Jesus in your life? And when you, when you step back and you allow that question to, to carry the weight that it does and, and to think about it, um, you really have to begin to wrestle with it and be confronted. Because who is Jesus uh, in your life? At different times, he, he may be uh, different things. I remember when I first decided to accept Jesus uh, in my life, he became my savior. Like, that, that was it. He was, he was my savior. Uh, eventually, I realized he needed to be more than my savior and become my Lord <laughs> and understood what that meant, to submit to him and to, to live a life that he's called me to live. At different times, he's been comforter and provider. And so who is Jesus in your life? And that was the question that we wrestled with. And in Colossians, in week three, we uh, we were reminded that Jesus lives in us, that God wanted to, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ lives in you. And then today, uh, we're going to see this, uh, or last week, we looked at this idea that Jesus gives us purpose. Because of God's redemption, his work on the cross, what Jesus did for us, that we can have purpose, that we can have life again. And today we're going to continue on that idea and looking at um, verses 16 through 23 in Colossians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up Colossians chapter 2, kind of thumb mark that. Um, if you have the Version app or however you look at the Bible, uh, hold that spot. And we'll uh, get to that in a minute. 
But as we dive into this message this morning, uh, I wanted to open up in a, in a word of prayer because Paul here, he's beginning to address some false teachings that have come into the church, um, some things that the, the Gentiles uh, were adding to uh, Jesus in order to be right with Jesus. Um, and so as we dive into this hard text, uh, I wanted to just open with a word of prayer. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the, the opportunity Uh, to dive into your word uh, and to see not only what you've said to your church thousands of years ago, but what you say to us today. And so as we look at Paul's letter to this church in Colossae, as as we look at these words, um, these regulations and these rules, these expectations um, that have been put on individuals, uh, let us see how that kind of plays out even in our own lives. And let us really answer the question, are we adding anything to this good news, this gospel that maybe we shouldn't? Because your son is and was enough. Father, speak through me this morning. Open our hearts and our ears to what it is that you want to say to each and every one of us. We thank you and we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to start by asking, uh, asking you a question. Um, have you ever felt the weight of someone else's expectations? Or maybe even have you put expectations on yourself that maybe were, were justified or unjustified? Because in any relationship, we carry into that relationship expectations. Some of them we vocalize, some of them we, we talk about. Uh, we, we've addressed them coming into that relationship. We understand the boundaries and those expectations and those guidelines. But a lot of things, a lot of expectations, uh, can go under the radar and are never discussed until (laughs) something explodes. (laughs) Like, oh, I didn't know that was going to be an issue. Um, For me, uh, I have come over these last few years uh, to to know um, about this idea of expectations in a relationship. Mandy and I are going on eight years of marriage, and even um, our counselor who helped us do marriage counseling, um, we had a whole session um, around this idea of expectations. And when we started talking about it, I was like, this is not a big deal. Like, I, we don't need to talk about who's going to take the trash out, who's going to do the yard work, who's going to do dishes, how laundry gets folded, or any of these things. Like, this is a waste of my time. Like, why are we talking about this? Um, but it, now... Eight years later, <laughs> I've realized, oh, that was, that was pretty important. Like, even down to which way the toilet roll goes onto the holder. Like, is it over or under, you know? And the correct answer, if you're wondering, it's over, right? Okay, all right. Let's just, yeah, let's just, yeah. We don't want them spiders coming out underneath. Anyways, all right. <clears throat> but it's over. And so we, we've, we've learned to have those conversations and those dialogues. Um, but at times, right, when those things go unnoticed or we, we don't have those conversations, attention can build um, because those expectations aren't being met. Um, and sometimes we, we get judged or feel judged for doing something we didn't know we were supposed to be, or not doing something we were supposed to be doing. And see, um, and so I now, in my marriage counseling with other individuals, um, have a whole session geared towards that. And we talk about that because it's so important to understand where each one's coming from. And all of our expectations, whether we realize it or not, um, we model from how we've grown up. So other influences in our lives, in our household, um, how things were done normally, that's how we do things, and that's how we expect things to be done. And so when it's done differently, um, it can cause this tension. And so now let me ask you this question. 
Have you ever uh, felt someone, or maybe even yourself, uh, put expectations on your relationship with Jesus? That you've, you've had other individuals put certain expectations on your relationship with Jesus saying you need to do this or that in order to be a good Christian or you, you can't do this or that because that just doesn't work um, because whatever it may be. Maybe it's the way you, you dress or uh, the way you, you wear your hair or what, how many tattoos or things you don't have. <laughs> um, that you can be judged because of these external things uh, based on your relationship with Jesus. Uh, but not knowing what really what's in your heart. And at times, we even do this to ourselves. We'll, we'll look at someone else and think, well, they've got it more together with their relationship with Jesus because they know more of the Bible than I do, or, or they're actively involved in, in serving yet, and I just haven't found my place, but, but they know what God has called them to do, so, so they must be better than me, or they, they pray more. Whatever it may be, we can continue to add onto the list but that we even ourselves can put a false expectation or understanding of who Jesus is in our lives based on external activities and appearance. During my freshman year at Johnson, um, I remember my relationship with Jesus was brought into question. Um, Every year we would have a a spiritual emphasis week. Um, And if that sounds spiritual... It kind of was. Um, <laughs> it was just a week where there's extra chapels, extra activities, extra things, prayer, prayer gatherings, uh, all-night prayer sessions, whatever it may be, a lot of things going on. And they usually focused around a, a certain theme. And I remember my freshman year uh, being there and participating in, into them. I didn't do all of them. Like, I had classwork and other things to do. And, and by being at them, there may have been some things or things I didn't do to engage in that, com- in that whatever it was. And I had an individual come up to me after one of them and began to question uh, my authenticity in my relationship with Jesus by the way or the lack of participation in or or whatever this event. And I really wrestled with that tension because I was was coming back into a relationship with Jesus. I had drifted away in high school, um, made some decisions, had come back into a relationship with him, decided to say, hey, I'm going to commit my life into full-time ministry. So I was in this place of still starting uh, off college for, you know, maybe the third time, but uh, again, uh, (laughs) really figuring out what I wanted to do, figuring out my relationship with God. And then a, a person who I thought faith was maybe stronger than mine questioned mine. And so it made me really begin to think, is there certain things or activities that I have to do or appearances that I have to keep up to to show what Jesus is in my life? And so I don't know if that's happened for you or not, uh, but it's a tension that we can begin to to wrestle with because of the expectations of other people. There are unspoken expectations that we may not be aware of that um, come up. And this is what was happening in the Church of Colossae. And so in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, we read this. It says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink, or in that matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by uh, empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to, to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? 
Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All of these regulations um, refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They're human commands and doctrines. Although they have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value of curbing self-indulgence. That's a lot. (laughs) But Paul is beginning to address and come hard at these false teachings, this heresy that's happened in this church where Judaizers have come in and said that you need to start doing this and that and add to who Jesus is in your life. It can't just be Jesus is enough, um, that you have to uh, observe these Jewish traditions, these Jewish rituals, these certain dietary codes and rules and regulations. Even though you're not a Jew, you must do these things in order to be right with God, in order for your relationship uh, to have uh, the best effect that it can. And Paul's coming saying, no, this is not the case. Um, He's reminding them that we looked at even last week a little bit, says that the uncircumcised belong to the true circumcision in Christ. For Paul, baptism is the mark of this new covenant. Better than any other symbol expresses the unique cross-centered story of the Christian faith. And through the cross, Christ um, has erases sin and cancels the legal demands that, that condemn humans, that we get to experience freedom because of what Jesus has done. But so often, we can get into the trap of thinking that Christianity is all about looking a certain way, doing a bunch of activities, doing this or that, meeting other people's expectations and gaining their approval versus what God would have us to do. At times we believe we have to do external things to create an internal reality. And I don't want you to mishear me, hear me this morning because external actions are a huge part of the Christian faith and the Christian life. Like once Jesus enters our life, things do change. Uh, our behavior, our actions, our motives, our intentions, all of that begins to change when we get to understand who Jesus is and who he's called us to be. And attending church and reading the Bible and praying and doing these things are catalysts to help that relationship grow and building that trust and understanding Jesus as Lord. But... The inward reality is the substance. And that inward reality is that Jesus is enough. And that is enough. The external should be a natural overflow of the inner reality. Paul says this in verse 17 again. He says, there is a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. So the external activities are only a shadow of what was to come. So just we're on the same page. I wanted to, to remind us of, of the definition of a shadow. Because when I think of a shadow, I think of just this little light shadow I can barely see of myself right now with lights coming on me. Or that's what I think of. Or a dark, maybe, shadow in an alleyway. Uh, but here, here it is. It's on your bulletin. It says, a shadow is a weak or inferior remnant or version of something. Um, and those words, weak and, uh, and inferior, really resonated with me when I read, read that. Like, I don't think of normally just my normal everyday shadow as something that's weak or inferior. But when I think about my relationship with Jesus and I think about what Paul's talking about here, this paints the perfect example that these things can become a distraction from what's happening and what Jesus, who Jesus can be in our lives. And so maybe this illustration will help. 
Um, on my phone, I have numerous pictures uh, of my family. I love taking photos of them. Um, and so I just love looking through them, especially when I'm away or, or whatnot. Um, here's some of them right now. So this is my wife and I. Uh, we're at a park down in Cincinnati uh, enjoying uh, Sadie's birthday. Um, so we're down there. That's Weston um, cheesing with no tooth. And then Sadie here um, one night out at the marching band preview. And so um, I love looking at these. And I love going back and even actually seeing uh, how much they've changed. I just had a notification pop up on my phone yesterday um, of us going to uh, Young's Dairy and picking pumpkins. And, and we actually did that um, Friday again this, this year. <laughs> and so, um, but looking at the pictures that I've taken from a year ago to even just this past weekend, how much they've changed from a four and five-year-old and a two and three-year-old. Like, it's, it's crazy. Weston's not a little chubby guy anymore. He's like grown up a little bit. He's not a little boy. He's like a kid. And so like, it's just mind-blowing to be able to look at those pictures. So what if I just took my phone and just continued to look at it, you know, day in, day out, uh, look at the pictures, try to, to relate to my family through these pictures, remembering what we've done and, and those things and talking about them and even saying, man, man I wish I could, could do that again or what it would be like if we did this instead of that. But the whole time I'm doing that, my family's just right here in front of me. But all I can see is the screen and these pictures that I've, that I've missed uh, the reality that's in front of me because I'm focused on something that's maybe more external. And so this is what Paul's getting at when he says this. And Ray Stedman has a quote. He says this. He says, if you still place primary value on a shadow after the reality has come, you destroy your participation in the value of that reality. If I just hang out in the shadow of these pictures, uh, that relationship with my family uh, is kind of go to the wayside. The, the emotional attachment that we have, the, the, the relationship we have, would not be as strong as it once was. See, the reality for the church in Colossae and for us today is that Jesus is here. The veil has been torn. Uh, no longer do we not only have access through Jesus through uh, rituals and, and certain behaviors and activities, we have access to him because of his work on the cross. Um, Jesus took the weight of our sin upon himself so that we could be in relationship with him, so that we could become alive again. And the reality is Christ is the substance. You see, and this is your first, first point. Jesus is the source of life. And if you hear anything I say this morning, this is it. That Jesus is enough. He, he isn't just a portion of our life. We don't spend a few hours with him uh, because we're trying to keep up appearance or gain other people's approval. He is the source of our lives and our relationship with him overflows into every other aspect of our lives. And so think about this question. Why do you do the things you do when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? Why do you go to church? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you give of your finances? Why do you give of your time and your resources? Why are, did some of you on the other side of this building this morning uh, pack food for, for people who are hungry? Why are other individuals still over there this morning packing more food for people who are hungry? Why do we do those things? Are we doing them to, to meet other individuals' expectations and get, gain other people's approvals? Or are we doing them because it's an overflow of who Jesus is in our lives and the love that he has shown us by dying a death he didn't deserve so that we could have a relationship with him? And Paul reminds the Colossians 
that when Christ is first in our lives, we realize that the worldly concerns become secondary or don't even matter at all. When we put Christ as our everything, he becomes the filter for our life, revealing to us the things that are important and the things that are not so important. We realize that a relationship with Jesus gives us freedom. And this is our second point this morning. Because of Jesus, we can experience freedom. For many of us, uh, freedom has become synonymous with personal independence. Uh, The ability to to make our own decisions, uh, choose to do whatever we want, whenever we want. But Jesus uh, Jesus was not setting us free to do whatever we wanted to do. Uh, He was setting us free uh, to do what we ought to do. He was liberating us to walk in relationship with him and be the kind of people he created us to be. And in John 10.10, Jesus lays out why he came. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. They may have a complete, full life. And when we think about that, when we hear that, we think, oh, this is going to be good, that I get a relationship with Jesus and I can get whatever I want, that everything's going to be okay. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have come that you may have life and and have it to abundance, that I have come that I give you freedom. And Paul uh, echoes this in Galatians 5.1. It says, for freedom, Christ sets us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Because of Jesus, we can experience a full life. His death, his burial, and his resurrection gives us freedom. Most of the time when we think about freedom, we think what we're saved uh, uh, from, that we've gained freedom from something. But Jesus also, his freedom, uh, frees us to do certain things. First, we're freed from, though, guilt. We're freed from shame, the fear of death, of sin, of legalism, and Satan's domain. That we have been freed from those and numerous other things because of the work of Jesus and the work he did by dying on the cross for us. That no longer do we have to feel guilt and shame, the the fear of death or, or struggle in sin and be a slave to sin or Satan's domain and power. It's not against flesh and blood, spiritual powers. No longer do we have to fight that fight. Jesus has fought it for us. But also we get freed to approach God, relate to him as his children, uh, to bring our concerns and our requests to him, uh, to walk with him throughout life, to authentically love others, and to live out God's purpose in our lives. Like this is what the good news is about. This is the gospel message, that Jesus is enough. And because of that, we can experience a life, a full life, abundant life. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he took the whole Testament law, 613 commands, and he summed it up into two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second he said was love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Our freedom boils down to a relationship over a religion. A religion is a particular system and structured beliefs of faith and worship. But a relationship is the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected. It's the state of being connected. If you're in it, if you're if you're married, you understand kind of what that relationship looks like. If you're dating, you're working towards understanding what a relationship looks like. If you have a best friend, you know what a relationship can look like. 
that the relationship is, is give and take. There's dialogue that has to happen. There's understanding. There's meeting expectations and understanding expectations. And the relationship with Jesus is no different. We can't just show up a few times a week and just think, oh, I got a relationship with Jesus. He saved me from this. Like, we have to invest into that relationship, more so than I would say in any other relationship. Because I can't physically see Jesus and have this verbal conversation with him. And so I have to work that much harder to understand who he is and who he longs to be in my life uh, by diving into his word, talking with other believers, uh, being in community and having discussions, serving the church by prayer and understanding. Like I have to work hard at having that relationship. But I do that out of the love that he has shown me forgiving a sinner like me, giving me the second chance on life. See, Jesus died for us so that we could experience a relationship with him and the Father. And this is the gospel, that no longer do we have to submit to a bunch of regulations or rules. See, remember this, the gospel is enough, that Jesus is enough, and that there's no need to add anything to the gospel. Because look at this equation. The gospel plus anything is not the gospel, right? Write that down. That's, that's good note taken right there. The gospel plus anything is not the gospel. When we add anything to the gospel, we negate the work that Jesus has done on the cross for us. Because we're saying, no, you have to do this, or you have to be better, and you have to do this. This wasn't enough. Jesus dying on the cross was not enough for you, so you have to do this. The gospel plus anything is not the gospel, and so we have to be careful and guard against adding anything to it. Our identity as believers, as those who have repented and believed in his name for salvation. Our identity is as children, children of the most high king, and we hold fast to him. Not to the law, not to the thrill of spiritual experiences, not to obsession with, with being completely separated from the world, but to Christ. We don't seek out to, to brag about anything else, but his name. He's all we need. He's the only thing worth boasting about. He's the substance. He's enough. So this morning, as we get ready to, to close and to transition into communion, I want, I, want to, I want you to leave you with this question. Are you allowing other individuals' expectations, or maybe even your own, guide your relationship with Jesus, or get in the way of your relationship with Jesus? And for some of us, this, this may be a whole new idea. Um, and, for, and for you, and if that's you, I want to challenge you to, to wrestle with the question um, that Mike asked uh, back in week two. Like, who is Jesus in your life? Um, because that's one of the most important questions you can ever ask. And it's a question that we all, honestly, need to ask ourselves each and every day. Who am I going to allow you to be in my life today, Jesus? Like, uh, as I wake up, as I go about my day, knowing what I have to do, am I going to let you uh, lead, or am I going to push you back? <laughs> Pick up your cross and die daily. And then I want to challenge those of you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus or you're just beginning to, to start this walk and, and you're new to this whole idea, uh, I, want to, I would love to have a conversation with you. I know Mike or Adam or any of us would. And so I'm going to be up here uh, after service. And if you want to start that conversation, that dialogue of who Jesus can be in your life, um, I'd love to talk to you. 
But every week we come into this place and we come into this time of our, of our service where we, we take a piece of bread and we take a cup of juice and we remember the sacrifice that was made for us. Remember why Jesus went to the cross and that was for my sin and for your sin so that we could experience freedom, so that we could understand the good news of the gospel. And so again, the gospel plus anything doesn't equal the gospel. It's not the gospel. And so as we take the emblems this morning, as you take the bread, as you take the juice, remember the sacrifice that was made so that we could live again. Allow the good news to be good news. And wrestle with that question, those questions. Am I allowing other expectations get in my way of my relationship with you? Uh, who are you in my life? Wrestle with that question. Reflect on those as we take this time in communion. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the opportunity uh, to come and to worship in this place, uh, to dive into your word and allow the truth to be revealed to us about who you are and who you long to be in our lives. Father, I pray that this morning as we take the bread, as we take the juice, as we remember the sacrifice that was made for us so that we could have life, um, we would see you and see your son is enough. We thank you and we love you. It's your son's name I pray, amen.